second samuel chapter 7 verses 1 through 17. after the king was settled in his palace and the lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him he said to nathan the prophet here i am living in a house of cedar while the ark of god remains in a tent nathan replied to the king whatever you have in mind go ahead and do it for the lord is with you but that night the word of the lord came to nathan saying go and tell my servant david this is what the lord says are you the one to build me a house to dwell in i have not dwelt in a house from the day i brought the israelites up out of egypt to this day i have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling wherever i have moved with all the israelites did I ever say to any of their rulers who I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. May God bless the reading of and the hearing of his word. Good morning. How's everybody today? When I looked at the scripture, I thought, oh, great. Another God always keeps his promises one. How many bajillion sermons, children's messages, have I done on God always keeps his promises? I don't know, a lot. So I was thinking and thinking, what have I not talked about? What have I not covered? And I went back. And I kept rereading the scripture and rereading, and then I started looking in all the commentaries I could find. And I said, Duh. God said no. That's what I need to talk about. God said no. David said, Look at me, I'm a good guy. I got rid of all these enemies. Well, God, you helped me do that. And now I've got a nice house. And you're still living in a tent. So guess what? I'm going to take care of that. I'm going to build your house. Sounds like me, type A. Anybody else type A? No, nobody here is type A. 
<laughs> I could probably count on my uh, hand how many people here are not type A. Um, and so David was kind of type A. He's like, okay, well, I've kind of, you know, I, I was a shepherd, now I'm a king. I, I killed Goliath. I got rid of all the Philistines. I did this. I have a nice house. This time I do something for God. And Nathan, the prophet, said, go for it. Yeah, God's on your side. Go for it. That's kind of like what we do here, too, right? Somebody says, oh, I got this great idea. And everybody says, go for it. Well, back last summer, we had a nice, sweet couple, um, tiny little lady named Rosie. I don't know if you remember her. She always had the coolest shoes. That's like the best thing about Rosie. No, <laughs> there's a lot of great things about Rosie. But Rosie pulled me aside one Sunday. She says, I want to make a donation to the church. I'm moving to Costa Rica, and I have 350 yards of polar fleece that I'd like to give to the church. And I'm thinking, what the heck are we going to do with 350 yards of polar fleece? But I never turn something down. If somebody wants to give me something for free, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll, I might find some use for it somewhere. So she brought the church 350 yards of polar fleece. Now, polar fleece is not your typical 45-inch wide fabric. It's 60 feet wide. So not only did we have 350 yards this way, we had almost two yards this way. Do you know how many yards that is? That's almost enough, well, it might be, to fill a football field. So she brought us a football field's worth of polar fleece. And I was like, hmm, what am I going to do with this? Okay, so we stuffed it in the closet. And the next thing we knew, we heard about the Afghan refugees coming and that they needed blankets. And I said, polar fleece makes really good blankets. Maybe we could make blankets with the polar fleece. And of course the church says, yes, that's a great idea. And I said, okay. And Charlton Baptist said, hey, we'll help. And Pastor Jen says, okay, Barb Jernigan's the spearhead for this. <laughs> yeah, right. God said, no. <laughs> Barb Jernigan had too many other things going. Barb Jernigan may have had the idea. Barb Jernigan may have received the, the donation of the, the polar fleece. But this wasn't Barb Jernigan's job. God had someone else in mind for this. I already had too many things on my plate. And the timing was wrong. However, when God closed the door on me, he opened the door Bernice. And Bernice has developed a beautiful ministry on Wednesdays with some beautiful women who are growing in the spirit. And if I had tried to run that program, we wouldn't have how many blankets? 46? Because it took me forever to do this much. I'm telling you, they, they were knocking out two or three in, in what, two hours? Three in two hours. It took me at least two hours just to do this. So I was not the person. And God knew that. And God has given me other ministries to do, but he's put this beautiful ministry on Bernice and the beautiful women that are working with her. So, uh, Solomon, David's son, 
was the one that was supposed to build the temple. David gathered the materials, said, here you go. And the temple was built by his son. God said, no. I have a hard time saying no, but I need to learn to listen when God says no. There's a reason. He's got somebody else ready to do the job. Dear Lord, we thank you that you have given us ministries. You've given us gifts. You've given us skills. Help us to hear you when you call us to do things and also to hear us, hear you when you tell us no. Lord, sometimes we are so type A that we want to do everything. We want to be great. We want to make sure that we have a name for ourselves. But you know what? You already know our names. And you already have made us great just by being your children. So help us to be in tune with you, to listen to your call, to listen to your word, to listen to your direction. There's a ministry for each one of us. We just have to, to seek it through you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord, thank you for, again, for bringing us here together today. Thank you for your word. Um, thank you for the history of your people. We pray that you will show us what you want us to know for today uh, from these stories and writings in the Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes Barb's children's sermons are so good, I'm just like, we could just go home now. Let's just go home. Um, she, she pretty much nailed it, but you know I always have stuff to say, so I'm still going to talk. Um, but we read the scripture, Bernice read the scripture, and Barb gave us a really good sermon so, already. So um, can you sum up for me what happened in the story today? Okay, God, that, that's exactly a summary. Um, <laughs> maybe, what did God say no to? Yes, David wanted to build a temple. And God said, mm. yes, God said, you are a man of blood. You are a man of war. You have too much blood on your hands. I don't want you to do that. For those of you that were here last week, can you notice any similarities to the Tower of Babel story that we looked at and any differences? Are you asking if I think that? Well, so <laughs> we're, that's what we're going to talk about today. But <laughs> um, I, I'm just wondering if you think there are some... Well, Nimrod, well, yeah, so Nimrod was probably involved in building the Tower of Babel, and he was a man of war, that's true. So, at least on the surface, it seems like in both the Tower of Babel story and in today's story, human beings are trying to build something for, to get closer to God, but they are initiating it. God's not the one who initiated it. 
Why did David want to build a temple? So, okay, so it could be so he could worship God. Bernice says it's another achievement. As Barb pointed out, he's already achieved a whole lot of things with God's help. Um, yes, I agree. I think he wanted to thank God for the blessings that he had already received. He has a relationship with God. That's the difference, by the way, I think, with the Tower of Babel and David. The people in Babel wanted to get to heaven themselves with their own strength and their own building materials and their own everything. David is recognizing that God has brought him this whole way from watching sheep in a field to king of Israel. And he says, hey, I have a palace and God is still living in a tent. I should fix this. That doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem right. So it's not, I don't, it doesn't seem to me that David is being inappropriate or power hungry, but there might be a little bit of a, an element of, I did this and this other thing and this other thing. And so here's another thing that's that's big that will help people realize that I am the king. Most of us have mixed motives, right? Even if we love God. Okay. Do you think that God actually even wanted a temple? Right. Tim says no. What do you guys think? Right. His whole plan was to dwell with us. And if you read this passage, this is what the Lord says, Nathan tells David after telling David he had a great idea. The Lord says, are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with the tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built, built me a house of cedar? I actually think God is sort of grinning when he says this. Um, it's, it's hard to read the Bible and think that there are funny parts, but I actually think there are quite a few of them. And this is, this is one, really, come on, Dave. Have I ever asked anybody for a house of cedar? I'm, I like camping out. <laughs> not all of us. That's not everybody's preference. But, um, but apparently God likes camping out. And we've already talked about how God wanted people to go through the whole earth and bring it under his ordering love. And that happens much easier from a tent than a building. So let's just remind us a little bit what we've talked about the past couple of weeks that the temple as sandy pointed out god wants to live with his people and so the whole creation story is described as kind of building a temple building this place where heaven and earth can meet where god and humans can overlap and so that's what we're looking at we're looking at how that plays out after the world is broken by the people 
people that God wanted to um, bring his love throughout all of creation. And so the purpose of the priests, the people, human beings are supposed to be the priests. We are supposed to be the, the creatures that express God's love most fully to each other and everything else that God has created. And so the whole rest of human history really could be looked at as this tension between God wanted to build a space for us to commune with him and to get filled up with him, to express him to the world versus us wanting to basically make the world into our image. And so a temple to God versus a temple to ourselves, Babel versus the tabernacle, like we saw last week. Today's story, I would say, is a picture of the grace of God and how God takes a situation that is less than ideal, thanks to humans, and still works to accomplish his original purpose even without overriding what humans have already done. Since creation, God has been envisioning, imagining, intending a dedicated place to meet with humans, to develop a loving, trusting relationship with humans, so that together, God and humans can bring love and order to the world. And as I said, humans messed it up pretty much right out of the gate by wanting to do it ourselves. The serpent said, you can be like God, and humans were already like God, created in God's image, and we were like, oh yeah, we can do that ourselves. We can be like God ourselves. And the Tower of Babel, we can get to heaven ourselves. Here's an important kind of side note, but sort of for to understand. If God had stopped humans from messing up his plan, it would have messed up his plan. He wants image bearers. And God is not a slave, and God is not a robot. So if God treated us like slaves or robots and controlled what we could choose or what we could do, we would not be bearing his image. We would be some other thing. We would not be image bearers of God. God is free. And so we also have to be free. Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, ultimately the buck stops with God. But we have a whole lot of freedom and choice and power under God. And we can decide to cooperate with God and use all of those things that he put into us of himself um, to express God or do it ourselves. So God is and God wants love. God wants to love us. God wants to be loved by us. And God wants to love through us. But if obedience or devotion is forced, especially forced from outside ourselves, it's not love. It might be obedience. It might even be devotion, but it is not love. 
let's make a little distinction here. Self-discipline is important and sort of, we, we know that we want to go our own way. And so we can say to God, God, I need your help. I actually probably don't want this relationship with you as much as I should. And so I want you to help me want that relationship. And we can put, we can discipline ourselves to read the Bible or come to church or set aside time to spend with God so that we can cultivate this love. That's different though than being forced to do something or being controlled by the, from the outside. So if God is going to move forward with his plan for a good and love-ordered creation, he has to, according to his own rules that he put in place, he has to give us the freedom to keep messing up. And then if he's going to give us that freedom, he has to figure out a way to work with that. Ultimately, the temple of relationship between God and humans, though, still has to happen on God's terms. So we get to choose things, but we, the connection between God and us, the love relationship has to be initiated by God. God has to start it. So David, King David, as a human being, is frankly a chaotic mess. Probably pastors are not supposed to say this from the pulpit. I have a hard time with King David. Some of you know this. Um, some of you are dis dismayed to discover that right now. Um, <laughs> I have a practice, a spiritual practice with God where I ask God to help me forgive my biblical forebears um, because I will have a hard time encountering them in the next life if God doesn't help me with my heart attitude toward them in this life. Uh, but King David is the one that I still have the hardest time with. He's, in my opinion, a disaster of a human. He, yes, he killed a giant, that's great, but he um, has multiple wives and is kind of terrible to all of them. He is a man of war, as that David pointed out. Um, in a few chapters from this one that we read today, he is going to, it's usually called adultery, but I think it's, he's a king, I think it's probably rape a woman, kill her husband, and then become, in the aftermath of all that, he's a completely neglectful father who doesn't deal with problems in his own family at all. I have a really hard time with this. And so when I and other people I know encounter people like this in the Bible, the question that sometimes comes to my mind is, is this the best God can do? Seriously? And the answer is kind of, yeah. Yeah. The reason it's the best is God is building a house of grace. The temple is grace. God is sort of saying here, I'm going to build the temple, this place where humans and I can meet together. And this guy, this completely messed up guy and his family, I'm going to use them to do it because then it will be clear that my love did this. 
if God can use somebody as messed up as David, King David, I'm not speaking of these other Davids. <laughs> There's a lot of Davids around here. Um, then he can do something glorious with me and with you. It's not hard for him. This is grace. I think one of the things that's disturbing for me about David in the Bible is that the Bible in multiple places describes him as a man after God's own heart. And so that seems like, really, though? <laughs> How is, that's sort of disturbing. Um, how is that possible? So here's a question. What is the difference between the builders of the Tower of Babel? We sort of talked about this, but the builders of the Tower of Babel and the and King David. The, what's, yeah, probably Nimrod. What's heart? Yes, their heart is what's different. The love of God, the desire for God, and the trust in the grace of God. King David got sidetracked by lots of idols. Let's be honest sex, politics, power over other people. But when the chips were down, if he was confronted with his wrong and just the general direction of his life, his heart's prayer is recorded in Psalm 27. He says, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him weird because there was no temple in David's life. Um, I don't think he was being passive-aggressive <laughs> in that in that psalm. I think he was saying, I just really long to be in the presence of God. I long for my life to take my whole life, my worship, and my announcement. <laughs> to take place in the presence of God. I think there might be, I don't know if this works in Hebrew. You, might, you guys might know this. I don't know. In English, there's a little bit of a double meaning to the phrase, after God's own heart. When I lived in London, I had this roommate, and we were both single, and so, you know, there were guys around that we were getting to know sometimes more successfully than others. Anyway, um, my roommate Beth dated for a while a guy named Tim. He was from Australia. And when they, they had just, I forget how they met, but he called the house one day and I answered the phone and he said, hello, I'm after Beth. <laughs> I'm after Beth. And I said to Beth, it's Tim. He's after you. <laughs> I think David was after God's heart. And I think that's why he's a man after God's own heart. Because he was after God's heart. He pursued God's heart. God loves David, and King David brokenly loves God. 
God won't let the warrior David build the temple that is supposed to be the headquarters of shalom, peace for creation. God also won't let David's ego congratulate itself for building a house for God, because it does seem like David has a bit of an ego. But God does honor David's desire to honor him. In Psalm 90, we were reading in Morning Quiet, as Bernice pointed out, and that's why it's our responsive reading today. Um, and we're reading it, and at the end, it says, establish the work of our hands for us. And Ron brought up the question, but we kind of mulled it over for a while. Are we asking God to bless what we want to do? Or are we asking God to establish by giving us what we're supposed to do? Yes. <laughs> the temple is the embodied vision of how the human relationship with God is supposed to look and how human flourishing is supposed to happen. And the dialogue with Nathan and David and God is an expression of how that can happen even when the world is broken. There's a full dedication of a person, David, to God. And he processes what that dedication looks like in community with someone else who loves God, who knows God. Jesus in me doesn't work. It's not supposed to work. That is not how God designed it to work. When God says in Genesis, it is not good for man to be alone. It's not just about sex, guys. But it's also, God says that in Eden, before sin. That is the only thing in God's whole good creation that God says is not good. It is not good for man to be alone. Because the temple is the place where heaven meets earth and humans are supposed to be part of that for each other. We each, now after sin, we each bring baggage and blinders to our relationship with God. And he doesn't often, or hardly ever, I think, remove them for us directly. We need each other to see what those are. We have our own experience. And you, it is really hard to see how someone could do something a different way and from your own experience. Like, why would you? did you do that? How many times have you said that about anything? Um, we only have our own experience, so we need each other to bring a fuller perspective, to bring a clearer idea of what God has in mind for us as individuals and for us as a community. It would be really nice, it would be much less embarrassing and humbling if God would just show us our own faults and help us work on them by ourselves and we don't have to deal with anybody else noticing them or calling us out or anything like that, that would be great. But that is not how God designed it, bummer. God has intended from the beginning for human beings to mediate God to each other. This is part of what went wrong with Adam and Eve. They did not express God to each other when temptation came. They were standing together. The serpent addresses Eve. She makes a decision by herself. 
Adam doesn't say anything, but she also doesn't ask him. And then Adam just goes ahead and does the same thing. They don't consult with each other. They don't say, hey, remember what God actually said? They just do the thing. They're not mediating God to each other. David and Nathan do it right. David says, I want to build God a house. And Nathan says, that sounds like a great idea. God will love that. And it does sound like a great idea. And it does seem like something God would love. But then God says, It doesn't need to be that complicated. David doesn't need to do some big, huge building project for me. And so God talks to Nathan for David. This is why we need each other. This church needs you. And you need this church. God says to Nathan for David, I love you, but that is not what I want. God is sort of reminding David that everything that we are, he is, everything that we are, and everything that David has comes from him. God says, I don't want you to build me a house. I want to build you a house. In doing that, he both humbles David. He takes him down a peg or two. You don't need to build me a house, dude. But he also exalts David. I am going to build you a house. He establishes the work of David's hands, the work of David's whole life, better than if he had blessed David's desire to build the temple himself. And so in doing that, when the temple is actually built, it's built in the context, it's built by David's son in the context of God building David's house. God establishing the work of David's house's hands. It is God establishing a house for David by building a house for God rather than David building a house for God. Verses 11 to 16, it says, The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So the temple ends up getting built on God's terms with human cooperation. It is the work of human hands established by God. It's humans expressing the loving purposes of God cataphatically. Sorry, people that weren't here the first Sunday of this series. That's a word we learned. I can talk to you about it after. Um, but humans expressing physically, with form, with, in a way that can be described and expressed, the purposes of God. And the promise that God makes here is about Solomon. But I think, embedded in it, there's also a promise about Jesus. You read this and stop in the middle of verse 14. Listen. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, 
your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. God builds a house for David, which, more than the physical temple, turns into a house for God. The temple where God and humanity overlap. So next week we're going to talk about the physical, literal temple that David's immediate son built and how it furthered God's plans and how it didn't. Um, but in the meantime, this we seem to be ending this series with questions, so take a couple minutes right now to consider these questions. These are not to, for you to answer out loud, just to think about. Are you a person who is after God's heart? And are you aware of God being after your heart? What would you like to do for or offer to God? What is a way that you might help bring God's loving order, God's shalom, to other people and the rest of God's creation? We're going to pray silently now. Um, during this time of silence, take some moments to talk with God about what you want to offer him and ask him in the silence, who else that you know that loves God, should you share your idea with about what you want to offer? How can you listen to God together? I'll close this out very briefly at the end of this time of prayer. If you decide that you want to offer your whole self and you haven't done that before, please talk to me or your godly friend about that. If you want to dedicate your life to God, your life can be a temple too. Ask him how you can give yourself to him. Lord, we want to be people who are after your heart. And our decisions of what we give you are in a way between us and you. But also we know that we need to offer, part of how we offer ourselves to you is in community with people in our church family. And so please, Lord, show us who you want us to share with and how we can give our lives to you more in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name.